What is going on, guys? Adam Comero here with another episode of the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. So, today, it is game day against Virginia. Huge game. Game we've been looking forward to since the beginning of the season. Um, especially because it's pretty cool that Duke will get to play Virginia twice, which with the unbalanced schedule in the ACC doesn't always happen, as we know. Wish, wish it could happen where you play all the teams twice, but... Such is life at the moment, and it is quite an interesting time because since I last recorded a podcast, um, which was basically breaking down, not basically, I broke down every play versus FSU in the second half and went over that, what it all meant, and then uh, they played Syracuse, Trey Jones separated on uh, the AC joint, I believe it was in his left shoulder on a collision with Frank Howard. The sky was falling, chicken little time, and uh, then we got some positive news where, hey, it's not as bad as expected because it, it all depends on the degree with uh, the sprain. I mean, we, we hear it's a sprain. I mean, that means nothing until we know because, I mean, goes from I, I read it goes from like one to six degrees with uh, most of them are along the lines of one to three, four to six requires requires surgery. That's very extreme. So I think we mostly knew it would be one to three, but even then, it's it all depends on the uh, specific situation, the specific person, a lot of things. And I, it's basically best possible scenario. Trey, I mean, Kay wouldn't even really rule him out for Virginia. Uh, he, he hinted that it's unlikely, he also said like he doesn't know about the first two games, uh, Virginia Q's, uh, Virginia Pittsburgh, but uh, I would say very unlikely the first two games. But anyway, what I'm gonna do uh, now since I I record I'm recording on the morning of to put pressure on myself. I'm gonna go through just a, just a, a few storylines, little game preview done. Because Trey Jones, he is so selfish by getting healthy or being healthier than expected. I had to delete an entire episode. Uh, I recorded earlier this week on my usual Wednesday time where kind of going over everything in depth. Now it's just kind of go over the basics, let's get it done. And uh, yeah, I mean, because that's the bottom line. We don't want to rehash too much stuff from before. And plus, hey, I already went over FSU. If you want to check that out, um, I, I think that was a pretty cool format. I did just every single play, how it happened, the context, all that good stuff. So uh, a little topic by topic. First, I, I know what happened before, but I do want it on record kind of the way I felt and the biggest aspects against Syracuse. Because, hey, I mean, you go back to... Um, different parts of the season, and uh, while some may view it, it's just how the season ended, I like to kind of see how it went um, and track it bit by bit. So, uh, against Syracuse, the storylines are stupid right now. They're stupid. It's just Duke can't shoot. And hey, Syracuse's zone shut them down. I mean, what happened is a perfect storm, pretty much. I, I don't know if it's a matter of giving credit as much as just taking it a little less importantly as some with these early season games where Duke was just, I mean, they were playing overmatched teams. I was like, you know, it's going to skew a bunch of stats. I'm not going to take too much out of it. I'm not going to talk too much about it. Um, And 
that's pretty much Cuse on the other hand because, I mean, they were to be without Cam Reddish totally unexpectedly. I mean, I, I believe Case said they lost him, or he said, or he became sick the morning of, if I am remembering correctly. I might not be, but uh, yes, they expected him to play. All of a sudden, nope. And then to lose Trey uh, uh, six minutes into the game, I mean, yeah, Duke has other players. It's a matter of are those players used to being in the rotation, playing big minutes? No, so it's you don't know. All, all of a sudden, you're just kind of knocked back and you're forced to play differently than you expect. It's a lot differently than being prepared to play without guys, and especially versus a team like Syracuse. So with the perfect storm, we have... Saturday to Monday, Florida State, playing at Florida State, coming home to Durham, you play Syracuse, so short rest. I know that that's how the NCAA tournament will go, ACC tournament, even shorter, but still, they're not used to it yet. Um, Cuse, coming off in Scherzer's performance against Georgia Tech. I'm sure Bayheim didn't let them forget that heading into Cameron Indoor. Uh, let's see here. Um, so, again, Duke loses its second-best statistically best perimeter defender in terms of uh, steals and being just being aggressive. Um, the high-usage knockdown outside shooter that Cam Reddish is, I mean, that would have been huge against the zone. So he's ruled out before the game. Their best, most aggressive perimeter defender, the guy that prevents um, the other team the most from getting into their offense, the guy who caused or was a main catalyst in causing four steals, um, early on in the game, Syracuse did start to get um, their pace under control. And anyone who thinks Duke would have just kept that up the whole time uh, with the crazy uh, turnovers and everything, no. I mean, it was a great start. Losing Trey, what what it did, though, it prevents those just th- those crazy runs that uh, you could expect from Duke a couple times a game where they would just overwhelm. That's what losing Trey, um, that, that's what leaves Duke lacking the most. It's just, it's just forced everyone into a different role. Career high minutes. I mean, if you, if you go over these minutes, it's, it's nuts when you look at, um, first, Zion played 44. Uh, he, he, he was fine because he, he, uh, he was out the second half versus Florida State with the eye issue. So he was still... He was still pretty high energy at the end of the game. Um, Jack White, 42 minutes. I mean, Jack White, his career high was 32, um, which was, uh, I believe that was against um, Texas Tech. And after that, they, Duke, Duke had a, a bunch of rest. I think before that, they played um, a game, I believe it was Princeton, which was a mismatch. He played like 20 minutes then. Um, but it wasn't really competitive. I mean, this, it's after FSU, it's just a guy like Jack White. You could see his legs just were gone. Um, Bolden played 34. and um, Jack White, 23 after the half. Bolden, 20 after the half. And the, this is overtime. So Jack White, he was only out two minutes um, they, for the last 25. Bolden, he was only out five minutes for the last 25. So, I mean, it was five guys playing everything. And obviously Barrett, after playing um, 40, Saturday versus Florida State, he played 45. So it's crazy. I mean, you you could see the legs just vanish. Um, so, I mean, Goldwire, he played eight minutes. Six of them were in the first half. Delorier, 11 minutes. Six were in the first half. So, 
you look at it, with 13.05 left, Duke was up 70-62. They'd shot 8 for 14 in the second half. Barrett was shooting 50%. 14-16 first half field goals inside the paint. And, uh, I, I mean, they, they were doing what it took against the zone. You attack, you break it down, you get it to the center of, of, of the lane. I mean, Zion was doing a great job. And then, guess what happened? The legs went. So, it's, it's, this isn't an opinion. This is, you, you look at it in terms of, let, let's see, I have the stat of field goal attempts compared, or three-point attempts compared to field goal attempts. In the first half, here it is. First half, 14 of 32. Four, um, so 14 of their attempts were from deep compared to 32 overall. Still too much in my opinion, but less than half. Second half, 21 of 40. Getting worse. Overtime, all eight shots were from deep. All eight shots. Besides O'Connell, who shot four of eight. The rest of the guys, five of 35. Ouch. That's 14%. RJ Baird, who was shooting 50%, after his uh, first uh, field goal attempt in the second half, which was a made uh, three-pointer, he finished two of uh, he finished two of 18. So this whole like RJ and the clutch stuff, I mean, his legs were gone. You could see it. Ha- you could see it happening before because I mean, he airballed a three-pointer, and then he airballed or he. Threw up some awful thing in transition, which actually Javon Delorier followed up with a bucket. But, I mean, his shots were coming up short. He wasn't attacking as much. You could see it happening before it, it fell apart. So, it, to me, this wasn't a matter of Duke couldn't shoot. It's just guys were, were playing roles that they weren't used to. And, hey, they, they just they didn't have – their legs went out – and I still, I will credit them, their defense improved in the, sec- in, in the second half and overtime. Because, I mean, you worried without Trey, they still couldn't uh, cr- uh, get turnovers, create and transition. That was the biggest issue. But the defense wasn't the problem. Syracuse made unbelievable shots in the first half, not so much in the second half. I mean, Hughes had an unbelievable uh, first half, nothing in the second half. Then he kind of switched bodies with uh, Howard, who had an unbelievable second half, although a lot of that had to do with O'Connell's defense. So I don't want to talk too much about Hughes. That was my main takeaways from um, Syracuse. And with uh, I was really excited. If Trey had been healthy coming in, you have, um, you have really different offenses you're going against. In terms of FSU, a lot of high screens, a lot of pick and roll creating for the bigs, a lot, lot of uh, going to the roller off of the high screens. Different with Syracuse. Syracuse, not much going to the roller. Syracuse used the high screens to create for themselves. And Syracuse shoots more long twos than anyone. There's a lot of jumpers that are not what you would consider high efficiency shots and a guy like Tyus Battle if he can make it with you, with someone right in his face uh, consistently at some point in time you just had to say too good and they they he stopped making it as consistently in the second half it's just that was when Duke's legs started to go and the thing with Duke is i was I, I was, I mean, for seasons, I've always been saying the offense will take care of itself. The defense is the issue. And 
for a rare time, the offense was the issue in the second half. So that, that, that was tough, and they weren't getting the uh, easier free buckets. And with, uh, without Cam, basically Syracuse really packed in the zone and, and dared Jack White, who shot 0 of 10. I mean, he had not, he, his legs were gone. Um, and basically Zion was just surrounded. They couldn't get the ball inside to Zion. You can't just say, give it to you, let him, give it to him up top, let him do work. You can't just take a zone, um, ISO. You can't do that. Um, so they couldn't get it inside to Zion. Bear couldn't create, his legs were gone. So, so having a guy like Cam Reddish to create space there, that almost, you could argue, was more important than Trey. Just that's been totally overlooked with Trey. There really wasn't much talk about Cam being out because Trey, it's just what his defense creates, huge. Obviously, both are huge, but don't overlook Cam. I mean, especially coming off his best game against FSU. All right, so um, that was basically, yeah, I think I pretty much covered um, the Syracuse game along with just free throws down the stretch. That's something to be a little concerned about. I mean, when you have... Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, RJ he he missed uh, he missed against um, Florida State some uh, key free throws or free throw. Trey missed a big free throw against Florida State late. It was one one. Zion he had a chance to uh, take give Duke the lead late um, against Cuse, so it wouldn't have gone into overtime. He missed one. You got to make him down the stretch. I mean, it, it really doesn't. There's no analysis there besides you just. You have to make free throws down the stretch. I mean, they, when it gets down to clutch time, it is what it is. Before we get to Virginia preview, uh, injuries this week. Brutal. Man, they are brutal. Uh, let's see. In the NBA, Tyus Jones. <laughs> a bad, horrible week for the Jones brothers. I mean, a Monday-Tuesday combo of both brothers getting injured. Tyus had his... Uh, his uh, ankle, kind of his foot stepped on, his ankle turned. I think it was by, uh, it was by T.J. McConnell, might have been. Don't want to say it was him if it wasn't, but um, yeah, no, that was a ugly-looking injury. He's in a boot right now. He'll be out for a bit. Uh, Wendell Carter, he is going to have thumb surgery. Eight to 12 weeks. 12 weeks would be the season. Hopefully he's okay. He showed some promise. Pretty much been exactly what I thought he would be and what I predicted on the uh, draft uh, preview pod uh, last June. Um, so he's a, he's going to be a very efficient player. I just hope he can get back soon, soon so he can get a little more just confidence, a little more uh, experience in his rookie year. Um, but with the Bulls, I don't know how, I mean, I don't know what the Bulls were doing. Man, I love Jabari, but uh, <laughs> with their defense is already awful. And uh, then getting Jabari didn't help, I'll say that. And you have Wendell Carter, who played with the Duke team so bad at defense that it forced him to play zone. Yeah, they were great in zone, but you obviously don't want to be forced into playing zone all the time. And then you have Wendell Carter anchoring another awful defensive team. So hopefully they can get improved on offense. Uh, Kyrie. Kyrie apologized uh, in the media for, um, for being that dumb kid who, that's his words, who uh, expected everything to come to him, expected to get everything he wanted. And I don't know why Kyrie's saying this in public, 
And then he gave himself props by saying, um, it takes a real man to admit you were wrong. And that's, I mean, that was, that, that's fantastic. Just to get, to, to credit yourself. Then everyone's like giving him a round of applause. It's like, I, I mean, I, it's, it's just odd to me that, uh, I mean, the Celtics, they were one, this isn't the Ewing theory where a team can be good for your period of time, but eventually they're going to come back to earth without the great player. I mean, the Celtics were better. I don't want to say they're better all the time without him, but um, I mean, Kyrie and Tatum, it's it's going to be tough. And that's why the season I predicted, not, not necessarily predicted, but uh, when Kyrie said he wants to stay in Boston, my, my take on that, I don't know if it's going to be his choice because it's just really tough for two high usage, high volume guys like him and Tatum to play together. It's not surprising to me. That Tatum, he had his first, uh, actually, he had, he had his first 30-point game, the I think, last week, 34. That was his first 30-point uh, game since high school, actually. He had a 28-point game uh, against uh, UVA when he was at Duke, and he had a 20-point game, I think, in the um, against uh, Philly last year in the playoffs. Yeah, he, he had a bunch of great games in the playoffs. They were without Kyrie, and the 34-point game came without Kyrie. Tatum has not... Been as uh, he's he's not been been as big a scorer this year as he was last year, especially at the end of last year. Why? It's just a matter of I'm not saying I'm not blaming Kyrie for anything. It's just I mean he's a tough dude to play with because he has the ball so much in his hands. He's a he's a high volume guy, so we'll see how that works out. But it's just odd to me that um he said the young guys they don't know how to win and everything when they did they were one game away. Without him. So, I don't know. Well, they, they, sometimes uh, Kyrie, I feel, says stuff just to say him. Sometimes I feel like he lives in a bubble. But, yeah, I would keep that private. But, hey, that's me. Who knows? All right, so national storylines after, after uh, Syracuse. Duke can't shoot. That's stupid again. As I explained, that there was... Uh, Context, they needed to go into it. Yeah, they're not a good shooting team, but uh, that shouldn't have been something that came out after Syracuse. Syracuse shouldn't have exposed that. They haven't been a great shooting team the whole year. Don't use these, like, these, like, the sky is falling games to to all of a sudden jump out with a narrative that you could have really easily seen the entire season, and then you use it when there's reasons for that specific game, that's just stupid to me. Um, like, it's the same thing as Duke's defense is better than expected. Um, that was coming out after uh, Florida State or the game before. Duke's defense was better than most people expected immediately. So it's like after they had that huge win, that's when it is. It's just odd to me because, like, if you're going to do analysis, you got to have some sort of projection. It's just waiting till something's blatantly obvious and then pointing it out is just mind-bogglingly stupid. And that's what college basketball analysis has become. I mean, it's a team wins and you're like, good win for good win for a team, fill in the blank. They they showed they showed that they had what it takes. They wanted it more. I mean, it's the same way uh, I'm reading some of this like Duke writers are being asked what what the big thing is versus Virginia. It's how much do they want it? Like, is the other team going to stop Zion? I don't know. He's really good. I mean, it's just stupid. 
so um, that's basically the mind-boggling analysis coming in between Cuse and Virginia. So basically, that's it. Let's, let's get to it. Virginia, uh, they are ridiculous this season. Ridiculous. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, going back to last year, let's see, last year's Duke-UVA game, um, Duke started in man, couldn't, and it was just really ugly. It was at Cameron, really ugly game early on. Both teams couldn't score. Uh, Virginia, they were just able to make a few more shots. Um, Duke had like 22 at the half. They're down something like 27, 22. Don't quote me at the, on that at the half. Uh, but then Duke switched to zone, totally eliminated uh, Isaiah Wilkins, who couldn't make a three-foot jumper, couldn't really do anything from, the, from that free throw line, that gap in the zone area. And he used their best... Defend, defender, he basically impacted everything. I mean, for anyone who cares about box plus minus, those type of stats, which shows how much you impact the game overall, all around, um, he, he was, um, he did a little bit of everything, but the zone just completely took him out. So when, once he was out, Duke was, not shockingly, able to start scoring more. Um, and uh, so they got a lot of two-man action from Carter and Bagley. Bagley was just unreal, making plays off the balance, but a lot of that was, was, helped by, uh, was helped by Carter and great energy provided by DeVal. Um, DeAndre Hunter was playing really well, then DeAndre Hunter got hurt and left the game. So uh, Virginia, um, yeah, I mean, that was unfortunate for them. Uh, I mean, DeAndre Hunter losing him. The, the, those who will not let anyone forget about the UMBC game, they didn't have DeAndre Hunter, their most talented player. You take away a team's most talented player, it's tough. I'm not saying that they should, they, it, it was a game where UMBC, or UMBC was the better overall team, and it would have, and that's why it's just, it's tough to play without your best player, and the second half just imploded. I think they were tied at the half there. But anyway, uh, DeAndre Hunter hurt, uh, got hurt, left the game against Duke, and Ty sent it in. Jerome hit a bomb off the bounce. That was pretty much it. So um, I think Duke was really looking forward to a revenge game. Uh, today they are total opposite teams. I mean, Virginia is just completely shutting every everyone down. They have uh, allowed 60 points in two games this season. Two games, and one of them was a game that, uh, let's see here, one of them was a game they won 164 against Marshall. And the other was against Maryland. Maryland was very efficient um, shooting the three against them, and Maryland got offensive rebounds. Doing both, it's been very rare uh, against Virginia. Uh, Everyone else, they can't do anything. The ACC... I mean, Virginia is just completely shutting teams down. Virginia Tech, a great outside shooting team. Everyone's really saying that Duke needs to hit from the outside against Virginia. Virginia Tech was a remarkable shooting outside team. They were like 45% coming into uh, Virginia, and they were shut down. They shot something like 25%. Virginia is just unreal. I mean, that's the thing you would hope to have against them, their pack line. Um, and if you, if you can't have that, it's tough. Then it's just a matter of praying you can enter the ball against the post against someone who can then make plays from there, but it's not easy to get the ball into the post against the pack line. Um, so in the, in the conference, 
I mean, they're, they're uh, there's there's some talk about how they're a faster team now. I mean, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they're like a half second faster than last year or a second. They're still the, uh, right now, currently, they are the second slowest team in the country on offense. So, I don't know how great um, or how vastly they've improved. I mean, what's the difference to me this season is on offense, they're getting the ball more to their playmakers. And last year, I think that wasn't always the case. It was The offense was so spread out, and that's what I'll talk a little bit about that more with the um, with their uh, block-remover scheme. But, um, yeah, I think this year they are doing a much better job. They're getting it to Jerome. They're getting it to Kyle Guy. They're getting it to DeAndre Hunter for the highest usage. Those are the guys that need to have the most shots, and they're doing a good job of that. And they're being—they're amazing right now from deep jumpers. I mean, they shoot a lot of jumpers, and they are hitting them. Bottom bottom line, they're hitting them. I mean, Duke, um, Duke has uses a lot of. Uh, I mean, Duke relies on the transition all the time. Virginia doesn't allow transition, so. When you look at the stats, when teams get out in transition against uh, against Virginia, um, they're actually transition team. When teams get out in transition against them, uh, Virginia's ranked 213th again, among three, 353 teams. So their opponents are efficient against them in transition. The leader in that um, category for lowest points position, points per possession is actually Pitt. And Duke is uh, number seven. A lot of that having to do with uh, Zion chase down blocks. So when teams get out in transition, Duke is making up for it. Because the issue is actually just being able to get out in transition against them, which doesn't happen much. I've stated many times how Zion is a band-aid for what would likely be issues if he wasn't in. Uh, So Duke is ranked 205 in the percentage of their defensive possessions when the opponent's result comes in transition. They allow that to happen 16.3% of the time. Pitt, it's a similar thing. And it's worth mentioning Pitt because that's Duke's next opponent. Um, They allow at 15.9%. That's around the middle of the pack in the country. Virginia allows transition just 11.1% of the time. That ranks number four. So if you can't get out in transition, yeah, it's not quite as big if they're not as great when uh, in their defense when Teams do get out. So breaking it down further, let's see. Um, UVA, they're eighth in the country, lowest percentage of allowed initial field goal attempts in transition. Duke's ninth highest in their offense. Uh, reversing it, Virginia's percentage of their shots being the initial field goal attempt in transition is 352nd. Second to last in the country. So they're not running at all. Um, yeah, so Duke, just don't turn it over. That's, I mean, Alex O'Connell... God love him, man. That guy's an adventure, and he he will turn it over. I mean, in terms of, like, I guess you could say he was replacing Cam Reddish for the time being. Yeah, Cam turned it over a lot, too. The thing is, Cam could make, uh, he could turn the other team over himself and was a great on-ball defender. O'Connell, man, that was, he had some major issues. He actually got crossed up by uh, Frank Howard. I don't even think Frank Howard did anything. Alex O'Connell just, like, fell down. He might have tripped on his ankle or something, but, uh, yeah, O'Connell... He's got to improve that defense. We've been saying that for since he arrived at Duke, but it hasn't really gotten too much better. He can he can make threes though. 
He can make the threes, as we saw, but he is quite the adventure, and he will. He had some big-time turnovers. Got to make better decisions. Plain and simple. Um, let's see here. Uh, pack line, real quick. It's basically sagging man. He forcing you to the center into their help. So, in essence, it's, it's basically Syracuse without the ability to break it down from the free-throw line like you can hope for against Qs. They prioritize transition defense, often at the expense of trying for the offensive rebounds. So it would have been really intriguing to see Duke against a team, uh, Duke, since Duke is a team that relies so much on transition. They, I mean, the, all ball, the on-ball defender, he'll play tight, really pressure defense. But the others, if you can imagine the, the free-throw line extended area, the 16-foot area, if it went kind of around in a circle rather than across, that's basically the pack, uh, the pack line, and the other four they really don't come out of it unless the unless the dribbler picks up his dribble. Um, with four players always in the gap, I mean help. It's just unnecessary because it's always there waiting. Um, so the side entries, that that's what's so hard because side entries to the post, that's what allows the angles. Uh, they try to force you to beat them straight on. So at times you can throw it over the top as Duke did occasionally with the two-man game, um, high-low Carter to Bagley. It's, it's not easy, though. If you can make it, I mean, you can break it down if doing so, but otherwise it's tough unless you can hit the three since the four defenders, if they're not allowed outside of that line, they, they sag off a little bit. The potential is there, but it's still going to be a lot of just kind of shooting off the bounce. And... That, that's why you look at their stats um, in terms of uh, opponents shooting threes. Let, let's see here. Um, their stats this year in conference with opponents shooting the threes. Yeah. Um, teams shoot uh, 44% um, percent of their uh, field goal attempts from deep. That's the and the national average is thirty eight. So yeah, they're forcing teams to make to shoot more, and they're not making them. So it's low percentage shots. They're trying to force you into those low percentage shots. Smart move. And they're they're not allowing offensive rebounds. So I mean that's the thing, Duke. If the if you're not getting out in transition, you're not getting second chances. Then you're gonna have to really be dedicated to uh, running efficient offense. And that's tough to just keep doing it. I mean, with Syracuse, it wasn't just the the physical grind. It was the mental grind of constantly working so hard in every possession because they haven't had to do that this season. They haven't had to mentally grind so, so much. Um, and you wonder, in a game like against Gonzaga, where it was a mental grind, a game against... Uh, FSU, a mental grind. The game against Syracuse, a mental grind, where it's close, back and forth. Then you see the missed free throws at the end of the game. I'm not saying it caused it, but it's just it wears on you. So, I mean, Texas Tech was close, but I don't, I don't think that was... It got within five points um, really much towards the end, so I really wouldn't count that, although Texas Tech was a... I mean, they're a great defensive team, too. But, uh, yeah, so, so Virginia, I mean... Obviously, um, let's see here. DeAndre Hunter, NBA player. He, I want, besides him, I want them to obviously help on him. With the other guys, I would like to see them forced to finish off of the bounce. 
If they can beat you off the bounce, too good. But they are most efficient when they can make plays for others. So if if Kyle Guy is going to beat you, Kyle's got, Kyle Guy is going to beat you. The key is stopping um, him off the screens. The key is communication on defense and, and kickouts for everyone else. I mean, not, not just Kyle Guy. It's, uh, it, it's everyone on that team. It's, when, when you look at their players, let, let's see here. Okay, um, Virginia, uh, so, I mean, Ty Jerome, he, he can shoot. I actually thought he'd be a little bit better off the bounce this year. He struggled at times, but he can shoot the rock. Um, others, I mean, you have Braxton Key. Man, he's a tough defender. I mean, he's go. I, I, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes against Barrett a lot, um, even uh, against Zion, because uh, although Braxton Key's not huge, I mean, he's tough. He's he's a tough guy. Diakite, he has some length. So and Duke's got to watch out because he can hit from deep. So he's not really a big part of their offense, but he can hit. Jack Salt. He is uh, he's the new new uh, New Zealand Jack. You uh, Duke has the Aussie Jack, so it's a battle of Jacks. Jack off, anyway. Um, Jay Huff. Jay Huff is interesting because Jay Huff is like Javon Delory. If Javon Delory was a lot more skilled on offense, especially shooting. So if Jay Huff, UVA plays seven um, big minutes, and then Jay Huff is their eighth. In the rotation, they really don't go much after that. But if Jay Huff gets more minutes than usual, this may be a Javon Delorier type game. This might not be a, Mar- a Marquise Bolden type game. So it's going to be interesting to see how much Huff plays. Huff can be a bit of a liability on defense, but if he gets going, I mean, he's a real, real talented offensive player. At six ten, can spread the floor. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Kehi Clark, he is annoying. He's an annoying little guy, and I mean that as a compliment. I would say if we see more Jordan Goldwire at the point guard today, we could see more Kehi Clark. He can hit. He can hit from deep, but he's just going to be a pest. I think he would be a guy that we wouldn't see maybe as much if uh, Trey was in because Trey he is he's physical. That that's the thing with Trey. He's so physical. Um, so I think he could. Take advantage of Kehi Clark's um, size, but if it's Jordan Goldwire, I think Clark could make an impact on this game. And uh, I mean, I think Barrett's going to be running point. I don't think there's really a question whether and Barrett's going to be running point the mass majority of the time. That's just how it is. Um, so so Kehi Clark he could annoy Barrett. I'll say that. And Barrett, I mean, he has legs now. I mean, Duke got the break. Uh, they played Saturday, Monday. They got the break. Now, rested. Barrett's gonna be fine, so I, w- I wouldn't worry about his legs now. Um, yeah. So I talked about Jack Salt, uh, Braxton Key. He can hit from deep, but uh, again, they're getting their playmakers to make plays. So I, I think with Virginia, a lot of people talk about the pack line, well deserved, but. I don't think a lot of people talk enough about their offense, including, I mean, or even think about their offense, including me. And uh, I gave props to Jordan Sperber uh, on Twitter, on YouTube, HoopVision68. Follow that dude. I don't know him personally. He doesn't know me. I just think he deserves a lot of credit for what he's doing. And the analysis that he's doing for college basketball, which is extremely lacking, he's he's fantastic right now. Fantastic. And... 
I think he was an analytics guy, but more importantly, he is he is breaking down the plays on video. That's what we need more of. It's not just like a highlight play. Once he's explaining everything as it works within, he's explaining offense, explaining defenses. Every he, he it's just fantastic. He's explaining in games why teams do. He's not just using a team like what they do throughout the season. It's just how did this affect what happened here? The same thing as FSU. What he used to show how he, what FSU's defense was in the Cam Reddish game winner out of bounds was or on the baseline out of bounds was different than how they usually set it up. So, yeah, it was interesting to see that. Um, and he broke down Virginia's offense. I think before he broke it down, there's many, or at least me, who had no idea what it was called. It is the blocker mover scheme. And well, basically what it is is, uh, I mean, I think you just, it's on YouTube, watch it. That, that's a big thing. In 30 seconds, if I can just kind of explain it a little, it's, it's a lot of wheel circle action. They use, uh, they use flares, a.k.a. back screens, pin downs, a.k.a. down screens. They use a lot of that. Um, but basically all it is is just a blocker and a mover. So on one, uh, one-to-one, they work in a tandem. There's a blocker and a mover on each side, and they work together. And that and that's it. They just basically keep screening for um for the mover, and then I mean the mover can go to the other side. Then they'll just be teamed up with the blocker on that side. The blockers can't switch sides, and then they'll just basically they can pin down, they can flare, but uh, there's not quite as much flare because uh, they don't use much on ball screens, which I think is a weakness to the offense. I think with the talent Virginia has, I think the blocker mover scheme. It's really helpful if you have guys that may not be may not be great playmakers and can create some shots. But but I think Virginia, they're almost too talented to use this. I mean, number one, I don't know what the fifth guy's doing. Um, it just kind of leaves him out of it. But uh, they're just running the same thing over and over, and there's really not much change in it. So if, if they ever... If, if if they like Bennett will once in a while run a counter and not surprisingly it probably like shocks the opponents um because they're just running the same things all the time so I mean I think they should use more ball screens but if they don't hey props to them because it gives their opponents a better shot to beat them so I, I think uh yeah I mean that's basically all there is on that um but I again highly recommended you watch that to get a little more info on Virginia's offense. So I, I think, I mean, you can't just say, hey, give the ball to Zion, let him make plays. I mean, I'd like to see a lot of two-man action with Barrett and Zion similar to Carter and ba- and Bagley last season, though obviously the talent of those two big men, you can't even come close to. But uh, Virginia... I mean, they 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 are they're a talented team, so it's going to be hard if Duke. I mean, Duke's got to be able to find a way. Zion, he's a load inside. I think a key really, really is offensive rebounding. If Zion can just impose his will and get those offensive rebounds, I think that would be huge. That would be really, really big. So, uh, I would say that just if you you got to find a way to get it in to uh, the paint somehow. If you can get it in 
to the paint. I mean, the whole pack line breaks down. But easier said than done. So uh, I think not having the ability to uh, have as successful transition as you would have with Trey does hurt. But uh, so the question is, is Duke still going to try to speed up the other team? Because they've sped up pretty much, every, I think, every single team they've played. Um, they force teams to play higher than they usually play. The same way Virginia. I think they've forced every team to play slower than they usually play. Everyone except for, like, I think I mentioned, like, Marshall or something. They won 164. So I don't really think that affected um, that. But, uh, yeah, so we'll see. Uh, I mean, the pace is going to be slow. It's just going to be can Duke speed it up for periods of time. And that, that's going to be key because we saw last year, I mean, Duke, they couldn't do anything in, in, in the half court until they got Wilkins out. So, I mean, hey, if they, if they can, Virginia's shown, if, if somebody gets in foul trouble, if they, if they lose a key piece, like if you can get Hunter out, I mean, I'd go to Hunter, get him in foul trouble, do whatever it takes. You cannot get in foul trouble. Like, Virginia doesn't foul. So, or they don't, they don't get to the line much, so no excuse to foul and give them easier opportunities. But it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a grind. It's absolutely going to be a grind. Uh, as for Trey, um, with Kay saying, it's, not, it's definitely not going to be long-term. He'll be back sooner than expected. Uh, I, I would say, great. If, he, if he's 100%, there's no risk, put him in there. If not... I don't think it could hurt to take it slow. Uh, let, let, let's say, I mean, looking at the schedule, I think I tweeted this. Um, let, let me see here. Uh, what's Duke's schedule? They play, after this game, they play Pitt. And then it is Georgia Tech at home, Notre Dame away, St. John's at home. So I would say if there's any hesitation, any at all, I'd kind of ease them back in. Uh, against Boston College, that's home February 5th, and then have them full go, right, ready to rumble against Virginia for the rematch on February 9th. So, that, I mean, that would have them out against Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, and St. John's after this week, or a pit, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, and St. John's. So, yeah, I, I mean, obviously you'd like him before that, and again, if he's healthy, put him in there. I'm not saying keep him out just to keep him out. But uh, I think the key is to have him for the stretch run. And, I mean, if he's back, kind of easing back in against Boston College, and then uh, for real against Virginia, I mean, that's still many games left to go. I mean, that's, still, uh, that's about halfway into the ACC season, so they'll be good. They'll, they'll be good. So today should be fun. I mean, if nothing else, today should be fun. It's a grind. I mean, as I initially started out, it would be better. If it, would be more, it would be more interesting if they had Trey. They, they don't. It'll still be great. But uh, with the different types of offenses they played against, the different types of defenses they played against, it just would have been interesting because, I mean, if Trey was out for the season, people would have made him into some kind of heroic icon, um, even though he honestly hadn't played that many games against quality teams. The way that he had four steals in six minutes um, before getting injured against Syracuse, the way that happened, it's just See, he, he would have had 25 steals in that game. Duke would have been running the rest of the season and just would have been, like, unbeatable. I mean, I'm just happy he can come back. So we'll see Duke as it legit is at full strength because, hey, they were missing Zion for the second half versus Florida State. Then they, they started without 
Cam. And then they lost Trey. So, I mean, the Duke game, I'd say that was more of an outlier. I mean, the Q's game, that was more of an outlier than anything. Uh, those using it for narratives are, in my opinion, using it incorrectly. The, the, the game happened as it happened. It counts as much as anything else. But I think context is important. That's just a fact. You, you want to include all the information so people can make their own valid opinions. And if you're just saying Duke didn't shoot well, that's not including all the information. I'm not going to give it in a biased form. So the only biased form I will um, give today as is, I hope Duke wins. And it's going to be tough, man. It's, it's going to be tough. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm done making the stupid predictions. Maybe one, once I see more from opponents, I haven't had the chance to watch much. Um, besides, I mean, I've watched, there's three teams I try to watch. I watch Duke. I watch, uh, my, my number two is, uh, Maryland, which I'm sure everyone loves me for. I'm from Maryland and, oh, trust me, I got plenty of crap for being from Maryland and, uh, being a Duke fan, but I still love my turtles. Um, and my number three, I'm a Towson grad. And Towson's highlight this year is uh, scoring on their own basket, so that's always an adventure. But yeah, I haven't had time to watch too many other teams, so I'm not. I'm not just gonna ma- look at numbers and try to m- make predictions based on that. I think making predictions based on anything one game is always just a weird thing that uh, we put too much on. It's fun to do, but when people really judge those predictions, it's like. This is how smart you are. I think that's when it gets really stupid. Um, but, uh, I mean, I think overall, Virginia, they probably would have the advantage today. But I will say Duke, They the last time they lost two games in a row at Cameron, um, 2016, that was against, I think, uh, Clemson, Notre Dame, or Notre Dame and... I don't know. It was two straight games in uh, cameras in January in 2016. That's all I know. And, uh, yeah, so hopefully that doesn't happen again. I think Virginia does have the advantage, but Duke has the legs now. And, I don't know, I don't see them losing two games in a row again. So there, after giving all that analysis, my bottom line, I don't see Duke losing two games in a row at home. So, how in-depth is my final prediction? So, I'll I'll say Duke wins. Why not? Um, But, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Should be fun. And I will be back soon. Probably went much longer than 30 minutes or less. I screwed up because I just ramble on. Sorry about that. But, uh, yeah, if you listen, I appreciate it. Um, subscribe on iTunes, rate, review, do what you do. All that good stuff. Tell others if you enjoy. And, uh, yeah, it should be fun. I will be back soon.